right, the book of Romans, we're going to be starting in chapter 1. But when we start out with an introduction about the book of Romans, one thing we know about this book is that it's actually a letter. It's a loving letter to the saints at Rome. From earlier studies, perhaps, we understand that Paul was an apostle of Christ to the Greeks. He was one sent out from the commonwealth of Israel to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations outside of the commonwealth of Israel. And so the book of Romans could very well be the magnum opus, if you will, for our Apostle Paul. It is so in-depth, and it's almost like, in some ways, a legal letter. But the minds of the Greeks would be at a level to understand the, the deeper truths and the terminology that Paul brings out in the book of Romans. And so the book of Romans thrust is the thrust to give them the understanding of the righteousness of God. And he contends for the faith in that he contends for them to the obedience of faith. Because as James said, you show me faith without works and I'll show you faith with works. It's all about obedience. And, and, and the gospel and, the, and the, the word of God is more than just a bunch of facts. It's truths and it's mandates and it's instruction that we are to obey. And so we see as the first chapter of Romans open up, Paul says, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Paul, he says, being a bondservant. In the word bondservant, is the idea of a slave, but not an unwilling slave, but a willing one. One who wants to be a slave and be in complete obedience to God. Not one by compulsion, but by willingness. And so then he goes on to say that he is called to be an apostle. Today, this word apostle is thrown around all kinds of ways. We got all kinds of apostles all over the country, all over the world. But what does an apostle really mean? The apostle was one set apart by God to plant churches, but not only that, but was eyewitnesses of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when you think about apostles in that context, how does that make you look at the apostles of the day? What does the Bible say about Jesus Christ and where he is? Do, could it be possible that these men and women, because I'm seeing apostles, they're women as well, are eyewitnesses of Christ? Could it be? Question out there. That, that, that these men and women who are calling themselves apostles today 
would be eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. Today. No. No, it wouldn't. So, I'm still trying to get an understanding on what they mean by apostle. They talk about the fivefold ministry and they talk about how Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it talks about the prophets and teachers and evangelists and, and all that. And they're talking about the fivefold ministry. But if they talk about apostles in light of that, then we got a problem. Because they're not eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. But even in that, if we take away that portion and just talk about apostles as being those who plant churches. Okay, if they're planting churches, they're not setting the foundation of the gospel because it's already been laid by the apostles. So, at best, they have redefined apostle in a contemporary context of those who plant churches because a lot of times I see that these apostles, like um, I think his name was Apostle Murray out of Dallas, he was planting a lot of churches, creating districts, and doing that kind of thing. But the, it's, it still comes in the face of confusion with the church to be called an apostle and to point back to the word of God, but yet apostles that God sent out were foundation builders of the truth of the gospel plus starting churches. And we're not building any foundation, nor are we eyewitnesses of Christ at this time. We will not see Christ again till he comes back. So here we see that this apostle and those apostles of the Bible don't quite fit our contemporary context. And so it leads us to, to really focus on what was Paul trying to do? What was Paul mandated to do? And we see right here in this same verse, it says, separated to the gospel of God. What is the gospel? It's the, the, now, okay, okay. I hear two things, the four gospels. Then I hear, what'd you say, mom? The good news about Jesus Christ. Okay, so we got four Gospels. If we take the word Gospel and say it's the good news of Jesus Christ, so we got four books who talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, let's take that another level deeper. Now that we say, okay, we got these four books, the Gospels, that talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, what is the good news? The word, that's true. In specific, Jesus Christ, what about Jesus Christ? His teachings, his um, works that he did when he was here. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. You're hitting on target. You're hitting really close to it. Because in one way, it is the holistic teaching. But in another way, it's, it's got specificity to it in that there is a message of the gospel. And what is that gospel message? That good news is what? When you boil it down, what's the gospel message? What counts most about what Christ did? Faith, believe, to believe in Jesus, um, 
All right. And what else? He was born. He died. That's true. Uh-huh. So, so in that, the good news is that Jesus Christ was sent by God to be the Savior of the world. And in that message, there were certain things that he did that were the things that were necessary for salvation to come about. When Jesus Christ walked the earth for those 33 years, was he... Saving people then? Well, not so much then. He was ah. saving people, but the things that he was doing, people were, he had powers that followed him. That's right. Because he displayed and showed what he, I ain't going to say powers, but he showed that he was the son of God. All right. The that, he that he did. The miracles, the signs that he did. So, so that put him on a point of being, being one who, who displayed who he was, but was he saving then? I think what, did, what, did, what do we remember about his ministry? When, when at, at age 12, he taught the who? In the, In the temple, and he confounded the religious leaders because he amazed them in what he understood. But then, when he said, I must be about my father's business and started his ministry at age 30, for those three years, what, did, what was his primary ministry there? What, what was Christ's primary ministry? What was his ministry? Because he didn't need to believe he was. What was his ministry? Ah, now what did he do to get him to follow him? What what more than the signs and wonders? What did he do? That's a sign. That's a wonder. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right, and, and, and we, we'll, we're going to deal with that in-depthly as well on Sunday about that part. So we got, we got signs and wonders that he did, and people believed on him from what they saw, but what else did he do? Think about the Gospels. What is the majority of what he did? There we go. There we go. His primary ministry was teaching. For that 33 years, he was teaching about the good news of the gospel. But not only that, the kingdom of God. Remember in his parables, he would say, the kingdom of God is likened to a, uh, like 10 virgins or, 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 or likened to sheep and goats or likened to this or that. A tree that was in the middle of a garden that had not produced fruit for three years. He was always saying the kingdom of God is like because he was teaching 
the things of the kingdom of God. But what did Jesus know about those who he was teaching even then? One thing he knew is that they weren't going to be able to get it that well then. Why? What had to happen? What did those people have to get in order to really be able to get an understanding? What did they need? Born again, which means they now have in them by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we look at the gospel and we look at what, what's primarily there, he was teaching of the kingdom of God. But the gospel message is about the good news of Jesus Christ doing something that was so important that all these other things would occur. Jesus said, it's more expedient that I go to the Father. That when I go to the Father, I will send the what? The Holy Spirit or the Comforter. But in order for Jesus Christ to get back to the Father, he had a path he had to follow. And what were the three things you talked about death, what else had to occur? Well, if we start at Golgotha's Hill and he died, what happened next? Uh huh. After he died, what 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 did they do with his body? There we go. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because all three of those together is the good news. The good news, the message that we go forth with, is that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. He died for my sins and your sins. Now, now remember, Romans is a, is a, is a letter to the, 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 the believers at Rome about the righteousness of God. The new life in Jesus Christ, the, the life of salvation, in the good news, it's an exchange life, right? When Jesus died on the cross, who did he die for? The world. And what he took our place, right, to take on the punishment that we should have gotten. So the Bible says that he who knew no sin did what? He who knew no sin became sin so that we might be, have access to the righteousness of God in him. Now watch this. The gospel message, why is this so important? Because a lot of times I hear people say to me, why do, at the end of your sermon, do you always say that he died one Friday, he was buried, and he rose from the grave that third day morning? Why in the world do you keep saying that? I said, because without that, we are still in our sin. Without that, we have no salvation. Because when Christ died on the cross, he took our place. So our sins were put on him. And the judgment of God was satisfied in him. Remember, I think from one of the uh, Sunday school lessons, we talked about forbearance. And it's not a forgiveness, but it's a holding back. 
And so from the time of Adam to the time of Jesus, he was a forbearance of the judgment that should have occurred. It really didn't occur, but it should have occurred. And he put it on Christ because Christ held the sins of what? Past, present, and future. The all it was on his shoulders. So he took our place as, the one, as a sinner. He took our place as that. And then the exchange life, we now take his place as what? Jesus is, starts with R. Well, okay, what, what's the... Yes, he is. What's the focus of what's the focus of Romans? It's about the righteousness of God. So his righteousness was put to our account. Remember, the whole life, the salvation life, the life of a saved person is an exchange life. It's Christ's life for our life, our life for his. So now we live in righteousness because we have a foreign righteousness that comes from Christ because he knew knew no sin became sin for us so that the condemnation would come upon his shoulders the judgment but he then gave us righteousness right because we are called the righteous now but we know we don't deserve that we don't deserve that moniker we don't deserve that title because we know we sin but it's not our righteousness but it's Christ's righteousness that was exchanged. He took on our sins. We take on his righteousness. So at the cross, at the cross, right at the cross, that's where we find the payment for sin. So if he had not died on the cross, then we would have no payment for sin. Because God's righteous judgment had to be paid. I mean, the forgiveness policy, even when you think about something with um, debt forgiveness, say, for instance, you owe a company $100,000, and they say they forgive your debt. Does the money that's owed just go away? It doesn't, does it? Somebody pays the debt. It's either another company who insures them, or they pay it themselves. They pay the debt. So in Jesus Christ's forgiveness of our sins, penalty had to be paid. It had to be paid, and he did it on the cross. So the good news of the gospel, the good news starts with that he died. It's got to start there because without that, we are still in our sins. But in reality, it goes even further than that because he died, and now our sins have been paid for. And the opportunity to have his righteousness is now ours because of the exchanged life. But there's more. He was buried. Why is that important, you know? Have any idea why it was important that he was buried? Yes. Yes. 
when he rose. That's right. So, so if we if we backtrack that just a bit, and we stop at his burial, let's think about this for a second. He died. Then he was buried, which seals his death. Right? It seals it that he's truly dead, because the payment of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So he had to die. He had to be buried, but something else happened while he was buried. And it's a theological um, discussion that First Peter talks about in chapter 3 where he went down to the prison. Absolutely. And he declared what? Victory over what? Evil, death. death, that's right. Really the enemy, death. Oh, death. Some people Victor. preach that and some don't. So that's I mean, right. I, I have read that and I've heard that, so that's why they said that he went to hell. And then... Now, some, and, and, and that's a good point. That's why I talked to you about that, too. There's, a, there's this theological concept because some believe he never went. Yeah, some believe he went and he was under Satan's control. I don't see that at all. Now, I can see the debate to say, well, he never went. Or I can see the debate where he did go. Because if he preached a message of victory, if he preached it to those who were in prison, because all, that's right, all of those before he died were waiting. That's right. So then he could take the stand of death. And also the accusations that 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 the devil could put against us in the law because the devil knows the law and he is the great what? Accuser. And he could use the law against us but with Christ. Now, Christ now takes that, that whole debate, whole argument away because he says, I've paid for this. No longer do they have to be condemned if they believe on me because I paid for it. The victory has been won. Now, Paul says to us in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says, if there was no resurrection, then we are most pitiful and we are still in our sins. Now, why is that? If on the cross, watch this, if on the cross he died for our sins, right? If we believe that he died, shouldn't that be enough? Why is it that we would still be in our sins if Christ did not rise, if he was not resurrected? There you go. There you go. And what else about the prophecies of Christ? Did the prophecies not say that rise from the grave? If he didn't rise, then it breaks down the truth and the veracity of the, all the scripture. He had to get up. For it is to be completed. Because not. Then we didn't have a true savior. Because the savior had to not only die and be buried. But he had to be raised from the dead. With all power in his hand. He said all authority is given to me. In heaven and in earth. Now that he has risen. This whole gospel message. With his resurrection is the life. Because if Christ was still dead, 
then we would have no life. Because, so Shepherd, as you said, if he didn't get up, he couldn't have got to the Father. Couldn't have got to the Father to send the Holy Spirit. But not only that, our Savior would be dead and he couldn't live in us. So without the resurrection, the good news is not finished. It takes those three. That is the good news that he died for our sins. That he was buried and he was raised from the dead. That's the gospel message. That's it. And so that's why that message has to be known and has to be communicated because without that, we have no salvation. All of the scripture, all of the doctrine, all of the teachings mean nothing if you don't have a savior. You can know everything in here and still go to hell. The good news is that he died in our place and now we have the righteousness from him. He was buried. He had victory over death. He raised from the grave and he now lives. And he sits at the right hand of the Father but lives in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that's why that message is imperative. Because that is what the message that we have to receive in order to be saved. Amen? Okay, looking here at verse 2. Verse 2 says, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead look at verse 2 which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures who is that he Appointing to. Who is that he pointing to? Who is he that promised? God. In which he promised. So he being who? Now, here's an, inter here's an inter interesting theological, I guess you'd call it conundrum, if you will. A lot of times we think about Jesus Christ in his fleshly body when he was born and he lived and he died and he was resurrected. But what did Christ say about himself? He said, before Abraham was... I am. Where else did we see that? Where else did we see them words, I am? I am that I am. Somehow, we a lot of times think, God just started, or Jesus just started 
when he was born of the Virgin Mary. But he didn't. He was before the foundation of the world. He was with God when they said, let there be. He is part of the Godhead. So God pre-incarnate existed as the ones who, through his prophets, because he is the creator of all things, he promised through his own prophets about what he was going to do because he is the great I am. He said this about himself, didn't he? Didn't he say, before Abraham was, I am. That's why the religious leaders were so upset. They said, who does he think he is? He's going to tell us that he's Yahweh. He's telling us that he is the covenant God. That's why they were so mad because they understood when he said, I am, he was saying, I'm Yahweh. I'm Jehovah. I am the I am that I am. So that means he was the one that was the creator of all things. And he was the one who spoke to Moses. He was the one who spoke through his prophets. And they're saying, here is a carpenter. Joseph's son. Maybe. We ain't sure. Maybe it's illegitimate. And he's saying that he's God, Yahweh, Jehovah. It messes him up. But that's the Jews understood what he was saying. So sometimes we try to look at this text and we try to split Jesus away. But Jesus is, I am. He is part of the Godhead. There are things about the Godhead that we won't understand. And maybe the Lord will explain it to us when we get to glory. I'm, I'm hoping and praying. I'd like to know more. But there are things that we cannot conceive in our mind. And what happens is, because we have such difficulty in conceiving it, we try to match it against something we understand. Well, there's three people in this room. We see it, but we're distinct, right? But somehow, I had to come into the world at one point. Mama, you had to come at another, since you had to come at another, and we try to put that on God. Because God is not man. We can't use how we look and how we are created, how we show up, how we act, how our attributes are to convey with God. So when we do that, we get messed up because we try to figure God out. But God's too big for us to figure him out. We don't even understand what it means to be from everlasting to everlasting. All we understand is at some definite point, something starts to exist. God has no beginning. And he has no end. There's no way for our finite minds to get around no beginning and no end. So we try to put this on God and we get messed up. But God never meant for us to try to understand it all, but take it by faith. That's right. Well, 
but somebody that don't do that, they turn against God because they feel like, why are you allowing these things to happen if you're supposed to be God and love us so much? That's right. That's the big question. Why are you allowing these things to happen? Not understanding. Go ahead, Mike. Absolutely. Only God. It's the only way we can really explain it. And a world is out there lost without understanding of even those simple truths. And, and the reality is, if man didn't exist, we wouldn't have these problems. But the problem reason why we have them is because man does exist and man is sinful. And man doesn't want to do what God says to do. And therefore, we got this chaos called life today. It's because everybody wants to go to their own selfish and wicked way. And that's why the world is in the shape it's in today, because people have turned away from God. You know, he has a God for us to go by. If they want to do their own thing and have their own reasons for doing it. Absolutely. That's right. All in themselves. The, the, their own form of righteousness, as Isaiah said. But he said the best of our righteousness is still filthy rags in the sight of God because it don't measure up. It falls short and it falls right in the category of sin. You know, that, it, it is interesting how, that, how this is coming about, isn't it? What that lets us know is that under the cover, this whole desire has always been there. Because we hear, we've seen it talked about in the Word, even from the ancient days. Because even in Deuteronomy, it talks about uh, uh, this comeliness of a woman like a man. It talks about this even back then. So this is part of the fallen nature. Part of the fallen nature is that sin has entered the world and that that is a form of sin. However, what we're noticing here today, at least in our culture, in the, in the, in the, in the United States culture, if you will, is that sin is getting more and more licensed. The leadership of the, of the country is becoming more and more, if you will, conformed to this world, tolerant of any kind of sin, because we used to have leaders who would fight this. We don't have that anymore. Our leadership is now going that way, and so that's opening up the door for everyone else to be able to do these things. If the leadership was like it once did, it wouldn't be so flourishing. It would be in the closet. People would still be doing it like any other sin, but they wouldn't be able to be so open with it. It's always been there. But now, our leadership 
is so tolerant of sin and of this particular sin that now those who have those sin, sinful tendencies are now just coming out and saying, well, hey, our government says it's all right, and that's what I want to do, so I'm just going to do it. But they've been doing it. They've been having those tendencies. But now it, it seems like homosexuality is more of a, um, not, not only is it open, but it's it's more that's right. Like, um, being um, heterosexual and a woman and a man together like it's supposed to be is wrong. Uh -huh. Homosexuality is the right way to live. And not only is it in the higher-ups, it's on your TV. It sure it's, is. It's down in your schools. So it's like you have even some preachers that are marrying them. Yeah. And so it's saying that it's okay. They sure are. But it says something totally different. That's right. That's exactly right. They said in the last day. And here in this chapter of Romans, we'll find out more of why it is what it is. But as we as we look at this, really, the beginnings of it is suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Isn't that what's happening? Isn't that what's happening? The sinfulness of man is saying, shut that message down. Shut that noise down. Shut, shut the Christians down. The true Christians who preach that message, shut them down. Suppress the truth. And it will go even to death if necessary. If it has to go to murder to shut that message down. Because unrighteousness wants what it wants. And so now we're seeing unrighteousness flourishing, aren't we? We're seeing it flourishing. But there was a, um, there was a, there was a writer one time that said something that I've, I've never forgotten that I see as a real truth. And that is, evil flourishes when good men do nothing. Evil flourishes when good men to do stand not. Up That's right. And preach what is right. That's, the way That's where it's going. That's exactly right. That it's it's going wherever the majority is. I mean, the the political system, po politics, works like that. But we have politics that had a Judeo-Christian foundation to it at one point to keep certain things from coming up. Now it's like pure politics with no Judeo-Christian foundation, so the majority gets what they want, don't they? Because it, because a pure political system is devoid of God. And so its purpose is to take care of its constituencies. So who's ever in power in our governmental system, the constituency that put them there, that is the one that they cater to. And so we're seeing what's in our majorities. Because the political system is a director, is a gauge to showing us where it is. And so we don't have, we don't have those leaders who are standing on that Judeo Christian belief to say, no, we're not going to do that. 
I you know you're not going to like me, and this whole bunch is going to be upset about me, but that's ungodly, that's unrighteous. God is not happy with that. We're not going to do it. Now God is not, it's not even a factor. Absolutely. They have suppressed him in unrighteousness. They've suppressed the truth of God in unrighteousness. And therefore we're seeing a combination of the evil ones suppression and unrighteousness and those of God doing nothing. Our churches are becoming so inactive. They're going down so... That's right. That's right. To bring them to me. Because what I see with a lot of churches now, especially the big mega churches, is they conform to the world and what the people want to draw people in. And they accept anything in the church. What's not in here. What's not in here. That's right. For the sake of what? Numbers and, and, and growth and money. Because you know, I heard another really good. Uh, quote that I quote a lot of time when you find the leprechaun you find the pot of gold when you get through looking at those systems that, that like you say mega churches that are catering that to number at the end it's a money thing it's a money thing and that money has become their God a little G God because they're willing to sacrifice what the big G God wants for what they can get from the little G God. Right? Huge numbers in Yes. He's one of the ones that's going to be on there. So, to me, that throws negativity to the church to see that because it's like, and then you have men that see that as a chance to get rich. So they that's right. That's right. To what the world wants to hear, and then you get your phone. Exactly. Now look at that. Look at how Satan has infiltrated even the church. Because what is that message saying? It's like you said, that message is looking at the man, but not about God. The pastor's job is to continually send the people to Jesus, send the people up to God, but this kind of nonsense is sending people to men. It's saying, oh, look at pastor such as a bitch, oh, he's rolling, he's balling, or whatever. You know, all of this, but where's God in that? That's right. That's right. Not that many people gonna make it. Not gonna make it. Because of 
Sister Shepherd, you bring up a real good point. You know when we talk about, sometimes we talk about how we're going to be surprised who's in heaven? That's right. I think we're going to be more surprised who's not there than we are who is there. Because in this life, a lot of our showmans that look like, they're not going to make it. And we're going to be surprised. They're going to have great followings and all of that. Because what do we find in the Gospels? Some of them that said, open up to us, O Lord. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not, you know, cast out demons in your name? Let us in. And he says, no. For I what? Never knew you. You did something that was a form of godliness your whole life. You had a great ministry. I mean, what better ministry is, hey, man, we prophesying in his name. We're telling the folks and we're casting out demons. But God said, but you didn't know me. And I didn't know you. You had this facade up and you did things, but you didn't have no relationship. That's right, with me. That's the key right there. That's right. And I think, I think we're going to see later on in some of the chapters of Romans that Paul says the gifts of God are without repentance or the gifts are irrevocable. There are gifted teachers and leaders today that are gifted, but their character ain't right. Their relationship with God ain't right, even though they're gifted. Absolutely. And a lot of charisma, a lot of, you can see their gifts on them. I mean, look at this. Um, Minister Farrakhan, he's gifted. Very gifted. If you listen to him, you know that there's something really gifted about this man. But he ain't got the truth. He don't have, he's not talking about the one and true God. He's talking about somebody else. Saying that Christ is just a prophet. But he's very gifted. The gift does not necessitate the relationship with God. And so there's gifted folks who can preach the gospel. Because they can know what the word is, but they don't have to have no relationship with him. Sure does. The devil knows the word. There's a story in 1 Kings chapter 13 that talks about a prophet who went from... uh, from, from Judah down to um, Bethel to prophesy against Jeroboam and tell him that the, the altar was going to be split. And then God told that prophet, don't go back the same way you came. So he went and he rested and he decided he wasn't going to go the same way he came. But then there was another old prophet. And the Bible says he was a prophet. That prophet went to this other prophet and said, am I not a prophet just like you are? And I heard from God, and he said, it's okay if you come with me back the same way you can and eat with us and then continue on your journey back to Judah. Instead of the prophet remembering that he hadn't heard anything from God, he listened to this prophet and went that way and ended up being killed. But that other prophet Surely he must have known about that prophet because he, he respected that prophet. He said, am I not a prophet just like you? And he agreed because he's heard this prophet prophesy. But that prophet was a liar and he lied on God. 
So he had been telling the truths of God in partiality, but not completely. Maybe 99% of the time, but 1% of the time in this case, he didn't. But 99% wouldn't do. The Bible says if you are a true prophet of God, you are 100% of the time. But if we got preachers who preach the true gospel 99% of the time, can fool a lot of folks, can't it? But they still can be false prophets, can't they? See that? So that's, that's the deception. Because it says, if possible, even the elect would be deceived, what? In the last days. And clearly we're living in the last days from what we see. So we're in that fight. We've got, we've got our culture suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. But God always has a what? A remnant. He's always going to have some that will not bow the knee to Baal. Remember when Elijah was crying out to the Lord, oh Lord, I'm, I, I, I'm so depressed, I'm so messed up, I'm the only one that's serving you. I'm the only, and the Lord said, no, you, it seemed like it. Where you are, it seems like it. Basically he was saying to him, but I got 7,000 more who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000 out of so many is still a remnant. And it's so, it's so much of a remnant that Elijah thought he was all alone. Sometimes we're going to feel like we're all alone. There ain't going to be nobody left. But God still has a remnant. Because Jesus Christ said, on this rock I will. And the gates of hell will not prevail against me. He didn't say if, 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 if the culture changed. He didn't say if any particular sin got stronger. He said it will not prevail without condition. So even in the midst of all this debauchery and all this, this, this evilness, all of this licentiousness and, and sexual immorality, God still got his people. And he knows where we are. And he's still going to use us to touch lives to build his kingdom. And that's the good news right there is that even though it looks like the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket, he still has his that was still going to be making disciples because he said he would. He said that it would, he would never leave us nor forsake us. So even when it looks like the way it did for Elijah, we have to know that our work is not in vain and that we, there is a remnant that God has called out to do his work. Amen. Well, it looks like we got seven going here, so we're going to stop for tonight.